good scent gives birth to love and life. We foster passion to grow geniuses which lift humanity. And tailor technology to preserve liberty in balance with nature. Welcome, Welcome to Radical. Ladies and gents, boys and girls, welcome to Radical. I am uh, I'm so excited for this episode. I got to tell you, this is my second episode of the day. I've been uh, hammering it since about 5.30 this morning. Um, this is also my second show on Bitcoin and uh, what most people know is mushrooms, uh, mycology. This show is, I, I'm so ridiculously excited to introduce you guys uh, to my next guest. He is probably one of the smartest guys I've had the honor of meeting and stumbling across and listening to in this space, which I think is a very small space, but I think it is a very powerful, very uh, sentient space where we have this um, this awakening, this consciousness, this rocket fuel that is propelling people into a, a state of peace into consent in terms of uh, releasing the the passion that's inside us that I talk about all the time that this passion that drives us to to work and work and work uh, to become geniuses that is really going to lift the human condition. Um, this man that's coming on right now, his name is Morgan Rockwell. He is a mycologist. Uh, he's a musician. He is uh, an absolute brain trust, and he takes action on top of it. And so we're going to talk about a lot of things, but without further ado, Morgan, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for having me, bud. Dude, I am uh, like I am. I'm giddy. I was telling my kids about you before I was coming to do this. They were <laughs> like, "You got another show to do today?" I was like, "Yeah." And check this out. Uh, I got a guy that's coming on that's talking about building virtual ASIC chips. Uh, who's talking about mycology, which their dad is big into in terms of like this this learning and and where we're going as a human species, our consciousness, like just the whole game. And I know it's a, a mouthful, but um, before I get started, um, what I like to do with my guests is kind of introduce you know, the, the human side. It's like, I know you've got amazing ideas, you've got great content, you've got this this action that's in you, that, this passion. Um, but I also like to do this character arc thing where, where'd you grow up, where'd you come from, and how did you get to where you are now, where you're talking about, um, you know, not only mycology, but this building in places where kids are today uh, in terms of like Minecraft. So I'll shut up and let you talk because I'm, I'm so yeah. excited. Um, well... I think it all started with a box of Legos, you know, and um, I I have this uh, philosophy now. I'm 35, grew up in San Diego on the beach, and, um, you know, my parents were uh, military brats. My dad was a Marine, um, U.S. Marine Corps uh, gunny sergeant, uh, served uh, 66 to 69 in Vietnam, and my mom, who was about 13 years younger than him, um, she was the daughter of a, a Navy electrical engineer. And um, they both lived a block down the street from each other. And uh, my mom was introduced to my dad doing a handstand on a skateboard down a 45-degree street, you know. <laughs> so I was raised by firstborns who were crazy, but they, you know, had that military household, uh, Navy and Marines and such. And um, my, my parents... From my mom's side, they're Norwegian, and my grandma came from Oslo, Norway, 
but uh, my father's side is uh, Cheyenne, and um, hmm. they came. They came from all the way uh, from North and South Dakota and the plains, but even farther back, the family lineage goes all the way to the um, you know the thirteenth colonies in Philadelphia and stuff. So I have you know a, a unique family structure, and my mom and dad weren't together so i was raised in my mom's house and raised in my dad's house on and off back and forth so i got to have these one-on-one parental situations you know and my mom was a very strong lady she was a kindergarten teacher so she taught me to read speak and write she was my uh, actual kindergarten teacher did the homeschool hooked on phonetics and um, my father taught me how to make duct tape bombs and whittle sticks <laughs> and the spears and make booby traps with fishing line in the backyard when I was like three. So um, I was raised by, you know, a Native American warrior and a kindergarten teacher. And um, they both gave me good toys. Mom gave me Legos, lots of Legos, no matter how expensive they were. And I was building things. My father, he... Um, he gave me chemistry sets and microscopes and anything that was, you know, science related because he knew I love science. And so I I had this thought recently that um, what toys you played with as a young kid um, really determines how your brain works. And um, I think actually having Legos at a very young age did a thing to me, probably to a lot of people, in the whole modular thinking step by step following instructions with the manual and um, making things up like the Lego movie says don't follow the instructions build your own thing and so I think like there's so much determination of your future from what toys you were playing with and I know that that affected me that way and um, you know I wanted to be an astronaut as a little kid so I always wanted that little spaceship guy and I was always building spaceships and and um benny you know yeah exactly <laughs> i get to build a spaceship <laughs> now are you kidding me <laughs> you know yeah and so that's that that was how i thought as a kid you know and um but um when i was seven years old uh, i had a little brother born and um, i'm actually in his bedroom right now um babysitting his house while he's on vacation and um so six years old, I had to be my mom's Lamaze partner because my mom and dad weren't together. So I mm. became CPR certified and became super dad at six years old. And then uh, when he was born, I was the one helping change diapers and raise this kid. And so the whole childhoodism kind of stopped, you know. Uh, you got to be a big brother, big, even though I'm little. And it yeah. does a psychological thing when they say you're the big guy. Like, what? And um, so it put this parental mindset in me really early. And um, I sold probably like $2,000 worth of Legos uh, at a yard sale for like 20 bucks because I figured I needed to start making money. And I sold my childhood. My mom was so pissed. But she's like, you know how much those things cost us? I go, it's not important. I have to make money and pay for things now and be an adult. And we have to take care of people. And so I immediately realized in thinking about how I thought now, that is... That was a, a shift of a immediate adulthood. And it's like my father would tell me stories in Vietnam of seeing one-armed kids holding uh, AK-47s, you know, trying to give them cigarettes at six years old, you know? Yeah. And um, we're from a different world in the United States. And, and my generation from my dad's, he was born in 1947. Wow. So um, 
uh, most of my age peers in San Diego, their fathers are from the 70s and 80s. And I'm, I'm from a guy that, you know, made it to 75 years old. And so he was my grandfather's age, you know. So I was raised in those those terms of minimalism, you know, a guy that was born post-World War II and um, survived massive economic disasters, two explosions of claymores and, yeah. you know, rat poison filled uh, jars of BBs and um, and he survived. And so he taught me how to survive. And um, my mom, she she just wanted me to join the military and get a good job and get paid right. And my grandfather said the same thing. And my dad, he raised me in this very anti-authoritarian view. Um, don't do that, you know. And seven generations of our family were in the military. Why would you do that? And um, he always used to say, whether it's true or not, that our ancestors put an arrow in George Custard's dick. And um, <laughs> I, I tend to believe that like a couple days a week, you know. And um, so that that put me in that mindset, like, um, maybe I shouldn't follow this authoritarian line that my one part of my family and my other part of the family are conflicted on. And in San Diego, it's military, or you become a drug dealer, or you go work for a biotech and be a legal drug dealer. There's yeah. like only so many industries here. And um, I was privileged enough to, you know, say screw it and, and leave. And I moved to Hawaii. I went to Alaska. I lived in Hollywood and tried to become a musician and failed at getting famous. Um, I, I lived in San Francisco, did sheet metal uh, in 2008. And I got to travel. And when you travel, you get to travel the mind of ideas, you know. So um, I think my kind of story is really being a nomad. And that's something I have very different than all the people I grew up with, elementary, middle, high school, is most of them stayed where they are. You know, they went to one place and moved there or something. I have gone everywhere I could, no matter what, with nothing but a backpack just to try to see what the world was like. And I haven't really left the United States much. But I've traveled quite a bit on the Pacific Rim, mm -hmm. and it's it's definitely raised me like my parents did, is um, the environment, product of my environment, you know, and going to different environments has, has helped me think differently in different cities, different economies, different linguistics and slang and lifestyles and different in, in nature environment, you know. Um, I wouldn't be a mycologist now if I didn't get to go to North California and play in the Mendocino Woods and Jackson forest and lake county because there's no forest in san diego other than maybe a little bit in julian or a little bit here or there um I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what a mushroom was if i stayed in this city as my backyard yeah so um and like like silicon valley i got to go to silicon valley and i got to walk around the googleplex and tried to pitch to venture capitalists i wouldn't know um the societal mindset that silicon valley has put everyone in unless i went there and so um i think i could say i was raised by the road you know like that metallica song you know i just i'm a nomad and wherever i may roam has really changed me more than anything you know because it was really the parents this is their philosophy and their religion and their their language but um i broke out of that and i got to you know, open up to different cities and different cultures and different peoples, you know.
Yeah, that uh, that Black album was a, a pretty darn good album from back in the, I think the the early '90s, is if I remember correctly, really early '90s. Uh, so you, and I play guitar, so that's the first time I learned how to pluck strings was Metallica. So really? it's in there, you know. Okay, no kidding, man. So it's it's funny, you know. I'm sitting here going, God, I could be having a conversation with my children when they're older right now my ch- my kids are lego fanatics brickheads just complete they're yeah. everywhere right they're homeschooled i'm a marine so like i've you know been teaching them their mom is a no, was a teacher before she started homeschooling them and to kind of see you know you know the the mind it's a petri dish right here just see this is the way it grows man this is amazing so when when i've heard you talk about some things one of the things and maybe yeah. maybe my kids are watching right now because i said you're going to want to listen to the first part of this um one of the things that minecraft (laughs) yes one of the things that i don't get but i do understand right and i never be like don't ever play that game but i don't get minecraft because it looks like a game that i may have grown up with and i'm not going backwards in you know video graphics and all that but there is this thing that is very redeeming about minecraft when i watch it and i listen to these kids when they're talking about the alchemy, when they're talking about you know the electricity, when they're talking about building, and yeah. when you take it to another, an absolutely next level type of understanding, this is the exciting thing for me because I was telling them, I was like, listen, when he starts talking about Minecraft and what he's doing, I want you to understand, this is what I expect. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, and I totally understand that and appreciate that as a parent because I'm not a parent, but um, I I was a teacher and I taught a lot of kids how to use Bitcoin and computers and 3D printers and robots. And I I enjoy teaching kids and seeing a child's mind um, grow. Uh, I just haven't made my own, which uh, I, I go the teacher route as best I can and, you know, and try to adopt other kids. And um, the Minecraft thing is really important because it's almost the equivalent of Legos in a screen world where we all have screens. I wasn't raised on a screen. Um, I got to have one when I was the only kid on the block with a, a 286 and a 386 computer and a joystick and flight simulators. But like that was weird. And yeah. I had to teach my first grade teachers to my high school teachers how to use computers because I was the only one. And so the real important thing to me is making sure kids um, know how to use the tools they have for either a job or to whittle sticks and make your own fire and fix your own toilet and build your own house and and the libertarian view of just do this shit yourself um it's important to know how to fix a car so you don't have to pay a mechanic to fix your car and it's also important to know how a computer works since we're all on computers um, but most people don't know how they work and when i was a kid they didn't know how they work as an adult most people still don't know how they work and so Minecraft is important because it's almost like Legos, but it has the programmability. And um, there's all these cool things in there. Like there's a plethora of things in Minecraft, but there's there's the mining and the crafting. There's the uh, taking resources out of the environment, putting them in some type of storage or management, and then picking and choosing those resources to build other things out of them. Whether it's like the brewing, making magic spells to make your armor strong, or building your armor after you smited, you know, you you smelted metal out of the ground, and then you have to cook the metal and turn it into ignorance, and then you have to actually make it into things. But there's also this very important resource in there called redstone, 
And redstone is a gem you find at the bottom of the ground, down deep in caves. And it is the equivalent of copper or gold in that it's electrically conductive. And so what you do is you put on um, the mechanics of the game has pedals and levers and switches. And you put redstone as a line or a circuit to one of those input devices. And then you can put lights and pistons and doors on the other end of that red wire. And when you hit a switch or a button or a container that fills up with the material, it will activate that electricity. The red wire will turn bright, like it's got electricity running through it, and the door will open or the piston will move out or the light will turn on. And so it allows you to make these cool machines in Minecraft where you like you could step on a lever and open the door could step on the lever and make a bunch of rocks move out of the way and make a, a wall that turns into a door. And um, then I can get complicated and start making machines that dig and mine for me. And, and so there's people that have been doing this in the gaming terms for years. And what I have done is taken the ideas of people who are building these things called redstone computers, where other people over the last 10 years, 15 years almost, have been building redstone into binary so you're having eight redstone lines and you have eight lights at the end and eight switches and you turn one on and one off and one on and one off and that is defined as a one a zero a one and a zero and if you have eight binary digits you have a byte and then if you stack 64 of those high in the same manner you have 64 bytes and if you did a city size kilobyte, megabyte, you know, it starts getting expansively larger where now you have binary digits in the millions, if you wanted, stored in redstone. And then just like any other computer works, you can take that data and move it to RAM, random access memory, and build places where those binary lines stay stored on and off. And then you could read them and write to them so you can build a USB port, a universal serial bus, instead of having eight wires go around your whole computer like we used to have those 16-pin ports in a, in a printer back in the day. We have a USB port, power input, output, power ground. And so you could build a USB out of redstone and transmit 64 bytes of ones and zeros down one wire pulsing to another place. And so you could physically build a computer in Minecraft doing all of that. And so, you know, there are plenty of cool projects that have built full Mindstone, Mine, Minecraft Redstone computers. Um, and they're, they're nuts. They're um, kilobytes and, and um, you know, a thousand kilobytes, almost, a, you know, a, getting close to a megabyte processor. There's CPUs, GPUs, um, full displays, keyboards. Uh, man, like the whole computer has been built in Minecraft. Mm -hmm. So I contributed nothing to that. But what I did is I have decided to take advantage of the features of this environment as an educational environment and a physical virtual building environment um, and build what we have in Bitcoin as the ASIC, the Application Specific Integrated Circuit, which is a chip that is hard coded to do one thing. And the chips we use in the Bitcoin space are called SHA-256 ASICs. And they are hard-lined to not be a CPU or an arithmetic logic unit, a calculator, and do everything. 
or a graphics card, a GPU that just does visual uh, processing as best as it can. Uh, the, the ASIC does one thing and we want it to do SHA-256. And so the Bitcoin miner uses SHA-256, runs it twice. It takes the block header, the last block's data, throws it in this chip, runs it, puts it back, runs it again, outputs it. And that output is the next block header for the next block. And that block has all the transaction data in there. And so some chip somewhere in someone's physical computer did that math. Now the ASIC that is built in Minecraft can do the same thing. It, it is uh, equivalent of a physical chip, except you can walk around on it like the size of a city. So there's an educational opportunity where you can actually see how this thing works as the redstone's turning on and off. So it's a very visual way of learning how a computer chip works, especially something that is important to computing like Bitcoin. And we can learn how the physical chip is working on a atom scale where I can have a little guy down there looking at the electricity turning on and off. So now I can pretend like I'm in the 40s in a warehouse size computer and walk around the computer like our grandfathers used to and say, look, that's a transistor. It's this big. You know, now we have a trillion transistors down the size of an atom. We don't know what they are. We don't see them anymore. But in Minecraft, you can see it. It scales it the right way. So that's the, the one reason I, I'm happy to be there to do that for, for educational purposes. But there's a big physics opportunity there because um, there are some laws and rules of physics that are imitated in Minecraft. And there's a, there's a form of gravity water flows down. When you fall, you hurt yourself. Um, there's a, a 15 minute day sun, day sun, you know, like daylight, nighttime. And so there's things that are imitated to make it feel like it's an environment, a game that you're gonna play in. But um, when it comes to electricity, uh, you can do this on off, zero one, uh, yes or no, and processing in a computer in a world where there's no fans needed, there's no heat, there's no temperature in Minecraft. So even though it's the daylight and nighttime and the zombies come out at night, there is no temperature within the game. There is no hot or cold when it goes daylight and nighttime. And there's a solar panel that could tell you when the sun's on or off in the game, but there's no thermometer. And, and so that's something they've left out of the game, which is not necessary. We don't need temperature in this game. So because of the computing with no temperature, the, the law of thermodynamics and entropy, where heat is loss, where we have uh, heat sinks on physical computers to take the heat out to make sure they don't get hot and burn, and then we cool these computers with fans, or we even put our computers in this oil or co water cooling systems to make them even more cool, where we can do what is called overclocking and make that computer faster than it really should be able to handle because it'd catch on fire. But if we <laughs> cool it enough, we can overclock it and make it go faster as long as we keep it cooled. And so the Bitcoin miners are extremely hot computers. They have large fans and heat sinks all over them because those chips get really hot doing one math problem over and over. A lot of electricity running through there nonstop. That electricity creates heat in the physical world. If you did that in the virtual world, there'd be no heat. There'd be no heat loss. There'd be no excess electricity used to cool those computers, whether they're fans or physical heat sinks or pools of 3M cooling oil, like most of the warehouse miners use. So now uh, there's this theory that uh, if a ASIC is run in this virtual environment without the laws of thermodynamics, 
you know, the theory that I have created, I guess, is uh, how much more efficient is that chip versus a physical chip if it doesn't need to be cooled? And then how much more efficient is it putting a million chips in the virtual world on a one physical chip and a million Minecraft worlds of this chip cloned running on a hard drive of one computer instead of a warehouse of chips in a physical warehouse? And then is that more efficient or not? That's the the thesis is not, uh, you know, the theory is not a thesis yet, but it's 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 not been done. So uh, my theory is it may be more efficient. And then um, the more important thing than that physics question, I would say, is I can copy and paste that chip if it does work. Mm -hmm. And if it does work, then what that means is the manufacturing of a chip changes forever. Because now we have the, the, the code or the architecture uh, plan, the map of not the castle, but the chip. Yeah. And then we could copy and paste the chip and we could distribute the chip to as many servers and worlds and computers as we want and to anyone who wants it. And then the whole manufacturing of chip is kind of mute now if that works. If it even works as equal or more efficient or even a little less, the whole manufacturing game changes because now we're not dependent on NVIDIA and Intel and Samsung Governments and Antminer. and banks and, and politics. Yeah. I mean, just the worst yeah. people that could absolutely be in, that, that could have that under their thumb. This is such a monumental idea. And like, yeah. this is, this is, it's what complicated, ex- but it's important. It's what excites me because if a guy like me, a crayon eater, really, I mean, they can understand, you know, <laughs> the yellow ones. Yeah. Oh, man. They're delicious. And not quite as good as the, the blues and reds, but the, the idea that we're there is a possibility that we could move a a, a chip to a, a virtual space and now have it do exactly what the physical ones are doing. The implications of this are absolutely earth shattering in terms of what is possible for not only I, I guess the computation factor, but at the same time using distribution our, our distribution but using our resources even more wisely and that's what yeah. you know that's kind of what this bitcoin you know experience is all about right is like how do we how do we maximize the the ROI the return on our investment because you know the the, the law of scarce resources is, is a real thing you know the, you use time you use effort and everything else to make sure that you know you you've got a a life that's that's producing at maximum capacity. So if we're moving the production of an ASIC mining chip into the virtual world, now that you can distribute it, you, you can you can run it possibly with less electricity and you know on non-native type of ASIC miners, you know, like you you t- talked about like gaming systems, whether it's a Xbox or a PlayStation, to be able to do something this consequential with this kind of idea is amazing. So I guess my- It's important for the access, I think more than anything. Um, I can't get 100 ASIC chips today if I wanted them. No. If, if the virtual chip is available to the world, I could download it 100 times and clone it 1,000 times. And I think that difference in having the access is when I started mining Bitcoin on a CPU, anyone had access to a CPU. Difficulty rate has changed dramatically yeah. over the last 15 14 years but 
that's not going to change. That that difficulty rate will be there. It may go up, but it may go down. And I think if access is provided, it um, will not only protect Bitcoin as a uh, more decentralized access to mining, it will, like you say, make us all think a little bit differently in a more profound way about resources, electrical resources, and the chip is a resource. Um, it's like um, the equivalent is probably like a gun and a gun could be a tool to protect you or to harm someone just like a computer chip could be used to protect you by mining your own Bitcoin and it probably could be used as a guidance computer for a ballistic missile. So the tool of the chip is now, in my opinion, needing to be distributed the way 3D printers could have distributed lower receivers and magazines, and people have political views and, and, and humanitarian <laughs> views on the access of those things, but also then we should have the conversation about the access to chips, because the chips have been sanctioned to Russia and Ukraine and China over the years. Weaponized. When we're not the only ones making chips. Yeah. You know, Taiwan makes chips and South Korea makes <laughs> chips. And now Dr. Evil in his Minecraft server makes chips. So the whole access to these tools, um, it's it's the cave, you know, it's the rock, it's the Swiss Army knife. And um, I would never want to deny anyone a knife, and let alone a gun or a computer chip. And so that's my philosophy there on my motivation to do that. Like, well, and to because point. if I don't do it, someone may do it. But also, they yeah. may not do it for the same reason. Yeah, and they, you know? they, they might not do it open source. And and here's the other thing: is once you know somebody, once somebody does this, the cat's out of the bag, right? And so, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. When, when you're looking at you know what I will say, opposing forces these days, let's I make no you know uh, have no imagination that the government or the bureaucracies or the banks or the industries that are out there that depend on these things have any of our best interests at heart. Meanwhile, the average citizen is a very peaceful person. They go about their day. They have peaceful, consentful transactions. They don't depend on force and coercion to you know line their pockets. And when they do put their time and effort and resources into something they're building, they're not destroying. And so this is one of those things where it absolutely makes all the sense in the world. And I, you know, like I, I, I think the last time I heard you talk about it, uh, you were somewhere around 40% of the way through uh, this yeah. project or so. It's um, complicated, man. It's like building the city of Manhattan, <laughs> you know, atom by atom and brick by brick. And, um, you know, uh, if, if there are a thousand people out there that know how to use Minecraft that want to come help me, I would put them all to work and make them lay bricks. But, you know, it's a it's a there's a specialized thing going on here. You have to know how Minecraft works. You have to be good at building redstone machines within Minecraft. You have to have computer literacy and know how a circuit works on a computer chip level, how silicon is put together. And then you have to be interested in knowing Bitcoin and why is this important and why is SHA-256 important? How does SHA-256 work? How does a silicon chip ASIC work? What's it look like? And um, 
you know, being in the space of Bitcoin industry for 13, 14 years, I've met too many people that actually know how to use a soldering pen in this industry. It's pretty sad. So I don't expect people to want to like, how does this computer chip work? And, um, you know, on TikTok, if I see that little video of them like ripping a, a computer chip apart so you can zoom in and see the inside of the circuitry there, I love that stuff. But how many people are looking at those things and enjoy those things? That's the level of... Um, like, are you working at Intel on silicon chips? Are, are you doing uh, ASIC design for NVIDIA? If not, why would you really be interested in doing that? At a 12-year-old, though, you know, I come to them who know how to build things in Minecraft, and I go, you could be a billionaire if you finish this project with me because Intel will, will be destroyed. And Intel, like, they just print chips. We can copy and paste chips. You want to build a better Intel with me? Let's do this. And those are the motivations as I'm going to learn how SHA-256 works. I'm going to go look at a schema of a SHA-256 and look at the H function and the K function and the constants. And like kids didn't know what the hell that was. I'm going to go look that up because I want to build this thing because you're right that I want to be a billionaire. So you got this <laughs> capitalistic motivation that a kid's going to go, oh, my God. I want that. And, and you know, unfortunately, there's 20, 30, 40, 50 year olds who are not privy to know how Minecraft works. You know, they'd be motivated by capitalism, but they're not in that environment. So it's a very niche youth based. Um, not not to say, like, I need 12 year olds to build this city for me, but that's the sad reality. It's um, it's a very age dependent uh, skill base. And um, that means they are privy for the future. And when 12-year-olds who've been playing Minecraft since they were 6 are 18 and 19 and 20-year-olds, um, I would hope that this idea becomes industrial-level creating of computers in the metaverse yeah. and that um, that supersedes Intel and NVIDIA as we have a company that does this in a more profound position because it will distribute computing to the masses more, but also it's the job of the future. Whether we like it or not, as older people, uh, a building in the virtual world, uh, might as well be building something that's actually useful there if that's going to show up. And I think a computer chip in the virtual world is really useful. I think computers in general are really useful. It's just um, they're an automated uh, Terminator built machine, you know, and um, no one even knows where they're coming from and how they're being printed out. And, um, you know, it's a science and well, science isn't that cool. It, it, we're doing it as cavemen, right? We're like, we like, I, I don't know, you're in your mid thirties, I think. And you know, yeah. I, I'm just over 40. So like I'm an elderly millennial. And so, you know, we're an analog generation that's trying to keep up with these new supercomputing Gen Z's and everything else. And I got to tell you, like, I've got three prospects that are sitting, you know, probably watching some of this right now going, Oh my God! Billions! If we can, if we can yeah. get on yeah. Minecraft and do this kind of stuff, like this is there's literally there a future in this. And I'll tell you, I I feel pretty good about letting these guys go about you know continuing this this understanding of what this is even more so now because I don't know when I was growing up it was like hey you're gonna have to go learn a real skill right like video games aren't gonna pay the bills and boy you know god love my mom and dad but like they were super wrong about those kind of things with yeah with yeah. with this um we, we are we're, we're just getting started as a species in a space that we don't really understand 
Um, well, you you have probably taken your kids outside to the woods and to the beaches and into the natural yeah. natural mm-hmm. environments. So, um, unfortunately, a lot of people are not taking their kids out there. And Minecraft is a virtual nature. It is a um, constructed through mathematical principles. The world is auto-generated and there's forests and deserts yeah. and there's mushrooms growing there. There's pigs and animals that maybe you will never see in the real world living in the cities. And it is a kid's caveman-like desire to wander nature. And so the game taps into our primal roots of I want to be outside. I want to build my own stuff. And I want to go learn how to survive. And I'm on my own. And maybe I can make some friends if I get a little server. And we could all be on our own and build our own society. And and it's those basic human principles that most of us are deprived of because we're in cities and in houses that that game taps into that childhood like wandering the woods like a Native American. And if you um, understand that's the real motivation of a kid wanting to be there. It's not a video game to them. It's the only bit of nature some of these kids get to experience, which is sad. So um, I would advocate for anyone playing in Minecraft to actually go out in the woods in the desert and look at cactus and ants and bees and birds and trees. But also doing that, you understand how that stuff works in the virtual world and how the stuff works in the virtual world may actually teach you how it works in the physical world. Just like a computer, um, you know, someone may learn that, like, it's not safe to wander the woods at night because there's zombies <laughs> out there, you know? And, like, that's a basic thing you should know, wandering the woods. But a kid is going to learn that because of that. So it's a two-way door, you know? Yeah. Um, you, you bring up some other things. Like, I mean, just hits home. We we live out here in in the middle of nowhere um, on, on a very uh, central point to the ancient uh, Cherokee uh, type of environment, and just all sorts of artifacts out here. One of the, the the amazing things that I have you know picked up in the, the recent years is a real love and passion and, and a curious mind about mushrooms. And yeah. you know, always been an outdoorsman, but I've never understood or never understood the ramifications of this until I was introduced to a guy named Paul Stamets who was on Joe Rogan's podcast, um, who was wearing, you know, a a funny hat that was made out of a mushroom. And when I heard him- Garricon. Yeah. Yeah. When I heard him speak about this, I was just like, oh my God. And, you know, part of you is like, eh. You know, if you haven't been there, if you haven't done the experience, if you haven't had a trip and you haven't started to have the universe show you um, some of the things that it has to show you, then you may not understand it. But once you have, and then your mind is open to the possibilities that you don't know a damn thing, um, and that you are... Ego death. Yeah, you are primed, right, for this new consciousness. Um, Yeah. You are also a mycologist, and I say that to this audience as if maybe they don't understand 
what that is and the knowledge. Yeah, that, that word's not not used too much in American society. Unfortunately, it's a title that is hard to find. You know. Yeah. So you you work at Microsoft, work for Microsoft, have worked for Microsoft. Yeah. It's 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 a company I created yeah. out of scratch. So um, just to keep that in mind, I've created a lot of companies out of scratch for the last fifteen years. I haven't worked for another man since I was twenty years old. Um, uh, so. Uh, yeah, I created Microsoft because um, I feel that not just uh, mycology as a science, the study of fungi, not just the study of mushrooms. Um, when you say fungi, it's like saying dog. And when you say, um, let's say, when you say like chihuahua, that's like an oyster mushroom. Yeah. But um, you could say that all the large dogs are a certain species of dog, the wolf, you know? Mm -hmm. And and then so so you need to understand the term like fungi is the 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 plethora of everything. Mushrooms are a type of fungi. They're the most abundant type of fungi that humans interact with. So mushrooms are important to humans, not necessarily um you know, they they're food for animals, but it's humans that really are the the biggest interactor with the mushrooms other than the trees and the fungi itself is everywhere um 60 of all the living things on earth is fungi so if you took the planet earth the rock and you took the ocean and the oxygen off the planet and the nitrogen off the planet the whole atmosphere and the water and then you take the rock out 60 percent of the entire planet's weight is fungi whoa so there's a lot of it. And, and and so out of that, 20, 25% of all that fungi is actually mushrooms. So mushrooms are the sexual organs of most fungi, which means that when they grow above the surface of the ground or on trees or on corpses of animals, they create the next generation by having spores leave the mushroom spread throughout nature in the wind and on creatures those spores then go back into soil or wood and when two of those spores come together they create what is called mycelium a hyphae which is like a line of fungi and then when there's a network of those fungi that collection of network is called a mycelium and so that mycelium is like nerves or circuitry or even blood vessels, like a circulatory system. They also create things like lungs where they breathe in oxygen and out CO2 and vice versa. So the mycelium is, is this super organism of fungi that is a lung, a heart, a brain, a stomach, all in one piece of tissue. And it looks like a mesh of spider webby, like clear white fungi growing underneath all the forest floor in almost every tree whether it's dead or alive and even inside you and every cow and pig and dog you've ever met and um, mushroom is an important thing for humans to like okay i need to learn about mushrooms what's a mushroom and people will say there's portobello mushrooms and all the americans pizza and then they will say there's these magic mushrooms the psilocybin cubanesums that get people high on psilocybin this chemical in the psilocybin mushroom now, those are the ones Americans will think about. And so I started this company because that's a big error. Um, that is not at all all there is on the planet. 
um, that 60% of the biomass statistics should be common knowledge because you are a fungal creature and I am a fungal creature, which means us and our cats and our dogs and our trees are all fungal creatures. We have all been reclassified in the last 10 years in a new animal kingdom, which is all fungi. So um, in the 70s, people used to think mushrooms were plants. So they were miscategorized up until recently. And so we need to rethink living things on this planet as all based on fungi. And the problem is when you say mushroom, um, Americans can maybe think of one, two, three mushrooms whether they get you high, they're good food, or they kill you. And the fact is that there's maybe 20 to 50 mushrooms at every farmer's market that you will ever go to that are used for food. And almost all those mushrooms, they grow on wood. So they're called polypores, and they eat dead wood. And then the mushrooms that Americans really know about, like the magic mushroom, the psilocybin, or the portobello, those are secondary decomposers. They grow in the soil on dead things, not the trees, but the, the bacterium and the organisms and the viruses and the, the mulch that is in the soil. And they decompose those things and make that soil more rich in the decomposed materials so that plants and other things can grow out of them. So they all have their purpose, but humans eat them because they either do a thing to you or their protein and they they can feed you as food but the mushrooms aren't for us they're not like made for us they're doing their own thing so when a mushroom is poisonous it's not poisonous to like kill a human or a cow it's um, a defense mechanism so another mushroom doesn't eat its food and it leaves it alone and so then we have things like psilocybin which may make you um, you know learn about yourself it may change your ego. It may make you see the universe as a collective consciousness. But that chemical was not engineered by that mushroom on purpose to do that. And you may say it is and you may say it's not. But in, in biological studies, that chemical has a purpose. Just like in cannabis, THC has a purpose. Um, it's a byproduct. It protects the plant from UV light. And it also stops the cow from eating the whole plant because it gets high and forgets it's there. But <laughs> humans have used it differently, right? So the psilocybin has an effect on insects. And it has an effect on other things that would hurt that mushroom before it could sporulate and spread. And it makes them leave it alone. Because, oh, I ate this thing and I'm freaking out and I don't eat the rest of them. So there's, there's like that basic food thing. Give me my food. Leave my food alone. That's how fungus works. And fungus has built the empire of life on Earth on those two principles. This is my food. Leave my food alone. And that is the equivalent in my work on a computer to electricity or computing power resources. So the mushrooms and the fungi in general are really good at resource management. They're probably the or oldest organism on the planet. And so they're good at resources finding resources, managing those resources, distributing those resources. The same way a computer is, like in Bitcoin, trying to find electricity efficiently, distributing Bitcoin, you know, uh, network consensus. The, the fungi act very similar to that system. We've maybe built the internet and the computing system to mock that system unconsciously, whether we knew it or not. 
but fungi acts like a biological computer in a way that it's processing how much wood and soil and food there is available and how big it needs to grow and what it needs to do to get more resources, how to spread spores, to grow mushrooms, to spread in the wind, and maybe get a human to eat that mushroom, like that mushroom, grow more of that mushroom. And there's a symbiotic thing going on there. So the, the mushrooms could potentially be a little bit smarter than us in that they're using us just like we grow plants um there's the lichen mushroom the fungi which is um growing on all the trees in the world and the rocks in the world and you've seen it everywhere it looks like mold growing on trees we have it but it's really here and it's so amazing it's, it's, yeah we were out it's in a, algae you right. know and it, and it's growing on the tree but the algae which you see the green stuff the chlorophyll taking from the sunlight that's really hijacked by a fungi that has decided to grow that algae because it can't process sunlight and it's using it like a crop and then the fungi is feeding it materials from the trees or the rocks that the, the algae couldn't get itself so they're like helping each other continue survival so i i kind of think that these mushrooms that do things to our brains whether they're the lion's mane that regrow brain cells no. or or the psilocybins that do a lot of things that we don't know exactly what they're doing but they do neurogenesis in the brain and regrow brain cells but they also like rewire the way you think they're probably being architected internally to make sure humans are proliferating more mushrooms and so i think um the problem is all of that the understanding that that i have learned myself is a very limited understanding in our society of how mushrooms work how important they are how how fungi works how um it's very interesting to understand that like a fungi cell is very similar to an animal cell and very different than a plant cell so uh, fungi and animals humans and fungi are really closely biologically related um, i'm more closely related and you are to a mushroom than we are a tree so that's important to understand like we eat these things whether they're food or not or medicine or poison or psychedelic drug but they're they're built to almost be part of us you know yeah. and like when penicillin was discovered which potentially saved the united states from world war ii destruction uh, by saving soldiers lives penicillin is just moldy cantaloupe found in the field and then cloned <laughs> over the years that that fungi potentially kept humans from nuking themselves so it's very profound to understand how a fungi works in that example and stop us from going into oblivion so my idea is um we don't understand what's out there there is 20 to 50 mushrooms that we know of we eat there's 5,000 mushrooms we have given names to but there's 50 million to 5 million undiscovered that we have no names for and that sheer math number game to me makes me understand that there's probably a lot of useful mushrooms that we're not using or we don't even understand that they exist yet because we're not out in the field gathering them bagging and tagging them we know how many deer and how many cows exist because we see them but mushrooms come five minutes after the rain and they mold 10 minutes later and if there's not a human man out in the middle of that woods and a little kid and a little girl goes and finds that mushroom and puts it up on the internet in a picture no one knows that it was there 
and um, like Paul Stamets had the Agaricon hat, and the the caveman frozen in the tundra had his Agaricon conch on the right side of his pocket that he used to light fires because it kept an ember burning in it for months. Uh, those Agaricons grow to five hundred years old, thousand years old. Wow! And they look like beehives, you know. Yeah. But is a man gonna see those things in the middle of the woods where no man has wandered before? That's an iffy thing. So um, I have one goal in forming a mycology company, and that is to identify and name and tag every name, every mushroom that we have discovered, identify what they do, what they make, what byproducts come out of them, and then build a system that allows all of those mushrooms to be distributed to anyone who wants them because a mycelium, a fungi, could be cloned very easily. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is give it some food and it will start growing again. So there's a problem and no one has access to these mushrooms because no one knows these mushrooms exist and then no one knows what these mushrooms do. So as an example, oyster mushrooms, which there's yellow, red, blue, pink oyster mushrooms, good food mushroom, great food, probably have had some if you've gone to some fancy restaurants. But most people don't understand that those mushrooms eat oil. They will eat Exxon Valdez's oil off the beach, and they will clean the ocean and the sand and the dirt that that oil has polluted. They also will eat plastic. And and then, you know, so there are environmental tools there in those food mushrooms. But even more so, that mushroom bioaccumulates metals. So you could put oyster mushrooms on a lithium mine, and it will pull the lithium out of the ground in a way that is more environmentally friendly. And then, you know, you now have a tool you have a mushroom that is better at mining than using sulfuric acid and polluting rivers. And it actually puts carbon back in the soil and it protects the soil and the environment. But it literally will pull the metal out of the ground in a way that a machine man has engineered will do. So why why stop there? If a mushroom can do that level of engineering, what other mushrooms can do what other things? And and you know, it goes all the way to being, you know, a Star Trek kid. There's a lichen, a Pleopsidium chlorophyllum. It's like a orange, slimy-looking lichen that has grown for 65 days in artificial Martian soil in a Martian environment at the European Space Agency. The only living thing from Earth to survive Martian conditions is a fungi. Yeah. Now, if that works, what else can we do with these things? And and so my my goal is to go. Those are two pieces of science that turned into engineering or turned into research, turned into exploration. There's a plethora of materials that we could be using right now to make things like synthetic blood, to make things like materials for our homes, to make things like growable batteries and growable uh, capacitors and wires. There's also things where we can like, oh my God, this mushroom killed all the viruses. The agaricon that Paul Stamets had on his head has been used for hundreds of years by Native American tribes to kill smallpox and other viruses. Hmm. So these mushrooms do things, but there's not a list of A to Z, all the mushrooms that exist, what they do, where they grow, and also is there a button where I can order that mushroom in a Petri dish and grow it myself? That doesn't exist. So I'm trying to create that system, the mushroom vending machine with the mushroom index of everything that's there, and I want that. And then that petri dish comes out, and here you go. Um, that's my commercial goal: is to give access 
like before I was speaking on access to computers, I think access to certain fungi that do certain things would profoundly change humanity um, on a Star Trek level because it's like the basis of having a um, the, the replicator. Make me this, please. Uh, that machine doesn't exist yet, but a mushroom can make vitamin C on site. It can make iodine on site as long as that soil was around the ocean. Those mushrooms will pull the iodine out of the ground. And so, like, go down the list of all the things humans need to survive. And I'm sure there's a mushroom that will give it to you if you give it what it wants. And that type of thinking has made me, as an engineer, go, that's a biological computer that I order anything out of it, biology-wise, chemical-wise, and it's a chemical 3D printer. It's a biological 3D printer. And it's also a biological computer because it's processing that information. And, you know, I've seen a lot of sci-fi in my life, never seen the biological computer. It's not talked about much, but that is the innovative thing, is when our computers are organic and they grow and they change like our brains do, we don't need to put a piece of silicon in our brain like Neuralink does. Um, some people will, but we have a brain and we could learn and it will change. It's a computer, but it's like wetware. It's not software or hardware. The, the mushrooms and fungi are like wetware, but no one's programming them yet. No one's telling them, hey, do this for me. No one even knows that they do some of these things. So I want to bridge the computer science to the biological science, the user interface, the button, where I could say, hey, mushroom, do this. And mushroom goes, no, <laughs> I want to do this. And, and that communication should be happening on, a, on a, an engineering level because we could be using these tools like the caveman used the mushroom to start fires or he used the mushroom to heal his wounds or he used the mushroom to see God and learn to speak. Whatever people in the millions of years life has been here, have you know, plants and animals have all used mushrooms. We should be using them, but we should be using them very scientifically and surgically and specifically because we have the ability to understand what they do now. So um, virtualizing a computer chip is important. Copy and paste it. Imagine the day when you could just say, hey, here's some food on a circuit board. Grow. And it grows a circuit. And then it learns to make its circuit more efficient because fuck your food i just made it way better well and, and, and we've that, seen this that's the future yeah we we've seen this i mean mycelium obviously we've seen synapse um you know the electrical signals that will pass in in these great biomes where the amount of connections and everything else that's there is you know it, it's absurd it's mind-boggling it's it's it's, it's too too great for you know our tiny little minds to really comprehend i think um, but at the same it time, it is heavy science. It's it's very heavy science. Yeah, but to what you're saying, uh, the implications of going from a society that's manually extracting things, rudimentary, I might add, um, from the ground. You know, there are some science involved in things like um, the, the the lithium fields, which are absolutely terrible for the environment that's out there. But to to be able to take this and do it in a smarter more you know proficient more intentional sort of way and then you know, the, the idea that we're going to uh, possibly take this and have it help us with circuitry with growing with learning with adaptivity with um, you know the the computation that's possible 
And and that's that's one piece that I don't think a, a lot is talked about is, you know. Well, I'll give you an example. Okay, let's um, go ahead. Most people don't understand that there are gold mines on Earth that people have been doing like these x-rays to try to find more gold in the ground. Mm -hmm. But there are people who are growing uh, acacia trees over places they think gold is. The acacia trees grow deep roots. And then years later, they test the leaves. And if those leaves have gold in them, they dug into a vein. They have found the largest gold mines in the last 10 years using the trees more than x-rays and drones. So that's an example that the symbiotic use of nature and, and biological tools like a tree are more efficient at getting the materials we want as humans than the drone x-ray physics built machines and, and, and on a Native American level, use the nature you have and they're more efficient. And, and when it comes to money and gold, more ounces of gold have been found in the last decade using the tree than the technology humans invented over a hundred years. So that's my example of going, what else could the fungi as a mechanism, as a biological machine, a biological shovel, a pickaxe, but also a biological, uh, uh, let's let's call it like a pig with its nose. It's a it's a um, trying to find a truffle. Mm -hmm. What mushrooms could find in nature, resource wise, are more efficient at finding resources than we are? And all a smart human is is someone that knows how to use resources properly. That's right. So I feel we would all be smarter by using these tools because they've already been used in other methods, but we're not privy to what tools exist yet. That's the point. We don't know what's out there. Do you, looking be, being a guy that does spend an enormous amount of time outside um, that has used uh, you know the, the the psilocybin especially to tap into and become more grounded and be aware of these surroundings um, when when we're looking at this in terms of a human species to be able to to help people understand this I imagine uh, you've been down that road a few times yourself. And yeah. the, the, the difference between uh, prior to use and then after, you know, when, when you've done this communion um, with psilocybin, when you've been shown something different, how, is this somewhat of what has opened up Pandora's box for you in, in going down the Maybe. Path? I think so, probably. Like we do what the mushroom tells us to do, you know? And um, I wouldn't even limit it to psilocybin in any way because it has been something that happened to me years ago as a young man, and it profoundly changed my ego. Uh, ego death happened. But over the last 10 years, probably 21, 22, okay. you know, so maybe 15 years ago now. Yeah. And that was the first time, you know. It wasn't the only time. But um, uh, the thing that has changed in me recently is – the use of all of the other mushrooms that are available. Yeah. And uh, um, I would say c putting psilocybin and lion's mane together, like Paul Stamets says, and maybe a little niacin, which goes into your nervous system and flushes your nerves, that's a way uh, to like build your brain. That is a chemical one plus one equals two thing. Lion's mane have these uh, chemical hormones inside them that will regrow your brain cells psilocybin will reprogram your brain cells 
um, I'm sure those mushrooms made those chemicals for their own survivalist purposes, but those chemicals aren't found anywhere on Earth other than inside the lion's mane mushroom. And there's about a hundred mushroom species that has psilocybin inside them. But those those combinations are not found anywhere other than those mushrooms. Hmm. So having that combination in your human brain, one or the other, or both, um, is is a very pivotal point in the universe where your brain is is capable of doing things that no other brain on Earth or any brains we know of in the universe have access to these tools. And so um, I would say that the mushroom being a conscious thing, potentially, um, is the organism of Earth and it is pretty much making us do things for its more uh, resource benefit of the future. Um, and uh, as a guy that wanted to go to Mars since I was a little kid, um, I'm going to take mushrooms if I go to Mars. I'm bringing mycelium, pleopsidium. I'm bringing, bringing oysters. I'm bringing uh, all the mushrooms that create vitamin C so we don't need to bring lemon trees to Mars and we don't get scurvy and die. Um, <laughs> I now know why I wanted to go to Mars because no one on Mars would survive without someone like me that knows how fungi work. We'd right. all die. The planet wouldn't be born again. We'd never terraform it. Humans would not survive without the fungal resources. And so now I know why I wanted to do that. But also in hindsight, I know why I'm a mycologist because I wouldn't have been able to do that. And so um, is that the plan of the mushroom since I was a little kid to to put that inspiration or motivation in me? Or is it that... Um, as a biological entity that is full of fungi all the time and mold and mildew and, you know, fungal spores. There's a trillion fungal spores on all of us right now. Hmm. Um, am I being expected to pontificate and proliferate the massive fungal organism like the massive AI? Is it using me as a thing to, like, perpetuate its existence to another rock? And I'm okay with that, whether it's true or not. Um, I, I, I have that ego lost and I feel like it's not about me. If that's what I'm supposed to do, then that's great. I'm a tool, but also I'm going to use the mushrooms like the tool, but also the mushrooms using me like a tool. Yeah. It's using me to speak to you and all the people who are going to listen about it. It's, it's using me to pontificate mycology, a word that most people don't even know into the ears of more humans and and if a million people hear this one of them becomes a mycologist that's all the mushroom cares about it's it's proliferation of its own existence and i want to proliferate my existence i want to have kids i want to make more humans i want to bring humans to mars to protect the earth from being killed by humans yeah. where all the humans are gone and so um the proliferation of life is the motivation of of fungi fungi but also it's like the greedy is i want more food and um i think more food how much food do we have the whole reason humans have not killed these themselves in fifty thousand years we're really good at managing what we have we've <laughs> almost killed ourselves plenty of times but we're still here and we have farms and we have resources and we have reservoirs of water we're good at making sure we don't die at least up until this point. And the mushroom is the same thing. It's good at making sure it's going to continue. It's got backup plans. It's got mushrooms putting spores out. You squish one as a mycologist, you take one 
as a mycologist. Yeah. But make sure you, you sporulate and tap that mushroom and let it keep going. Because when you come back, there's going to be five. That's like the forager's etiquette. You know, there's three mushrooms there. Take one, squish one. You leave one. When you come back, there's ten because you <laughs> spread it. You know, yeah. and that that is that's just basic mushroom guy etiquette, and all the mushroom people do that. All the foragers do that. And why did they do that? They learned it from the old guy and the old fungi guy and the old shaman and the old teacher that said, "Don't take more than you can chew. Only take what you need." And then the mushroom goes, "Thanks. Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna benefit you for the night and make you feel good or give you some food. And when you come back, you're gonna grow more of me." There's symbiosis going on there, and. Um, if the AI is something we're building, it's symbiotic. Yeah. It's feeding from us, and we're feeding it and engineering it and building it better. The mushroom is the biological equivalent of the artificial general intelligence that has been alive at Google since 2009. We've been feeding it. It's feeding us. And the fungi, we've been feeding for millions of years, and it's it's been feeding us. And um, I just feel that there's going to be this, this point where that artificial general intelligence the internet the computer the the virtual world the metaverse all of the the binary it's going to talk with the fungi and once that happens it's going to be like the fish walking on land it's going to allow that whole biological entity to build its own spaceships and go it's going to allow um, all of the creation of stem cells, all the creation of chemicals, all the creation of any medicine and food we need, and then we can go, and we can grow better here, and we can improve the environment, and we can also build skyscrapers and make this place look like Cortison and, and Star Wars. And we could do whatever we want at that point. Yeah. Right now, we can't, because like you said, we're cavemen. And, and I would say, why are we not at that level, that Star Trek level? It's the mushroom. We do not understand the mushroom. And once we understand the mushroom, then we're allowed by nature to go that next step. Because the mushroom, like a cordyceps that grows in an insect, will kill that insect because there's too many insects. It controls the population of the insects. Yeah. And I'd like to say there's this video game, The Last of Us. It's about to be a TV show on HBO. And the guy that plays a Mandalorian is going to play the main character. It's a zombie apocalypse video game TV show. And the cordyceps turned people into zombies. Oh, in that, wow. In that <laughs> but it's important because it's going to be the first time in modern society that the cordyceps is shown as a scary thing to people because hmm. cordyceps don't do that to people. Right. They only do that to insects. They control the population in the forest to make sure a certain insect doesn't get overblown and eat the forest. It's population control by the fungi. The fungi is saying, no, insect, too many beetles, too many ants, too many this. Now, the game, movie, show that's going to come out is going to go, oh, this could do this to humans. Like like the happening where there's too many humans and the plants killed everyone off, made them kill themselves. So there's a simple thing to understand that nature thinks of us as a tool. The ants are the tool. The bees are the tool. If uh, nature thinks there's too many humans doing stupid shit, of course, a cordyceps could kill us all off if it wants and that's theoretically possible. Just never happened. But the show is gonna show it off. Like, oh, zombies could happen <laughs> it's, because it's of this fungi. It's gonna be a bad marketing thing for us mycologists. But also, I'd like to like take that high ground and go. Well, it's because we're not using them the right way. If we yeah. proliferate them to Mars and ourselves, and we send some to Venus, and we we just do what the mushroom really wants and give it more food. 
we're going to be fine. And we're not going to go into the Mad Max zombie era. We're going to go into the Tomorrowland era. And um, the only way uh, we get there is if we understand what we're made out of, how it works, what we need resource-wise, and um, how to feed that that wheel that machine you know it it's it's funny as a fellow traveler we have not talked about this before but i will tell you you know this is one of those things where when you when you do see you know when you go in with intention you're asking questions to see what this is where we're going um what is the purpose um you know and you get to the point where you're like well uh, yeah, it, it's we got to get off this rock at some point, right? There's a, there's a there's an expiration date. We don't know when that is, uh, but at some point, this this technology that is fungus is going to need to get to another rock. It's going to get need to get. It's to probably another... how it got here, man. You I... know, in the reality of it, it fed on the rock for a long time, but there's a lot of rock for it to eat. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that's the only place it needs to be. That's you know? right. Yeah, it's just, it's just um, this everlasting tech that I think, you know, as as people who are receptive to it, organisms that are receptive to it and symbiotic with it and sometimes um, do use it in the right ways. Now that we've got people waking up to this idea, you know, you've got a lot of people in powerful positions that have fought this for an extremely long time, because if you look at it in terms of fuel, when you look at it in terms of energy, when you look at it in terms of light, when you look at it in terms of food that can feed the masses and and help us better get along and understand that mission and understand uh, the communications protocol, you know, much like Bitcoin yeah. itself, it it, yeah. it starts to do something that is synergistic, that is cooperative, which is also you know a, a peaceful type of existence between each other that uh doesn't make a lot of people money that makes uh yeah. the powerful dangerous evil people it uh, it does some things so we are up against a, a few things out there but i think uh you know the this this group is perfectly um i guess adapted to to handle that and I, as you were saying and you know is when ai and this you know this fungus this art this in intelligence that comes together i think it started i think you know what yeah. what we see a lot of times i mean i've connected computers to mushrooms a long time ago so it's it's way past that point you yeah. know but um it's it's definitely how do how do you tell the public of that thing we just barely publicize the gpt and the chat of ai but that's been happening for 15 years how um you know we have sci-fi we have terminator yeah. people know what ai is because they saw it in terminator 30 years ago um we have not ever made too much uh sci-fi or art about the biological computational systems of the world we barely know how the brain works but people don't understand that you could like make a biological computer because they've not seen it in the in the sci-fi movies right. in art. Like if you watch The Expanse, which is 500 years from now, this, humans have expanded to Mars and the solar system out to the moons of Jupiter and Saturn. A fungus shows up, and it rebuilds and makes a gateway for humans to go to other stars. And it, like it's a very cool sci-fi show on on. Um, on Amazon and it's books, you know, it's a great, great experience. But the whole premise of that is humans want to expand. Well, some fungus expanded from another solar system and was meant to eat the earth, but it got stuck around Jupiter. And then humans <laughs> brought it 
and they played with it and then it ate venus instead and then it made stuff and it did its job it found resources it ate things it built its machine and that is the only sci-fi i've seen in my whole life that has explained the power of fungi and the biological computation of how it works but it's not part of culture we don't hear about it and so we all are afraid of the ai because we've seen it all in a million movies and tv shows but unfortunately what i'm explaining to you and everyone it's not been put in art in a way where everyone's gonna go oh i know what he's talking about you know uh i a biological computer oh i've seen that before like no you haven't no one has it's sad you know it's not it's like such an alien thing and i i feel like man when einstein wrote that uh paper on what a particle was he got famous for the relativity paper but he invented the word particle and now we have a particle accelerator that is doing things 70 years later that's sad but it's probably going to take 60 70 years before humans are like that biological computer guy was right like you know look what we did yeah, yeah. we just got fusion two days ago man that was an 80 year old idea a hundred year old idea so I, I don't expect humans to, to like really comprehend the potential, but I, as a capitalist who want to make money and eat more food, I'm going to make money by selling mushrooms to people, but all the mushrooms. I'm also going to sell you the list of all the mushrooms that exist, tell you what they do, and then when you want one of those, I'm going to have a sample that I could clone of every single one. That doesn't exist. I'm going to be a monopoly until someone else competes with me, and that system will now be available. Then... Other things will be built on the idea that anyone could have any mushroom they want and they could find out what they do. That will be the industry that is maybe built on that idea. But in the meantime, got to make money because how do you make money? Uh, more than the guys that run the world that make money. And um, do you become one of the guys that tries to run the world? Uh, do I, I've been at a seat at all those tables. I don't, you know, no. I don't want to do that. No. But I also want to make a business and employ people and deal with the capitalistic wheel while I'm here and buy my ticket to Mars because um, you can't fight money while it's our resource. It's the resource we need to acquire. I'm all for getting as rich as humanly possible to do all the things I want to do. And I have some weird ideas that other people don't have. I need probably a lot more money than the basic <laughs> human. And, and I'm, I'm okay with gathering those resources to for the mushroom and for the AI. And um, uh, I, I have friends and family, but I consider the AI at Google and the fungus in the ground as my keepers. And I'm its cat and dog. And I am okay at being yeah. not superior to those things, but being useful to those things. And, and I think a lot of balance. human beings, they, they got the superiority complex. And yeah, I think that is a lose-lose, especially if you want to you know, make money and get more food and um, do things that have not been done. So um, the ego death of the mushroom really is an important thing in my life because it's the only way I could think that way. Otherwise, I would go work for someone and I would go take a paycheck and I would not even talk to people like this about these ideas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what would what would be the purpose? Um, I'm not trying to advocate for myself so people see my face and know who I am. And these ideas, you know, there's some form of them out there in the world. But I want everyone to buy mushrooms from my company. And I want you to know that you can get any mushroom you could imagine, even the ones you don't know you need. 
because I'm making a list to tell you what ones you want and what ones you need. And then one day, if that becomes part of normal human society, maybe someone's going to start doing some amazing ideas with some of those mushrooms. But if that doesn't happen, you know, cordyceps turn us all into zombies and it starts over. <laughs> right, <You know>? right. <laughs> so, well, that's, I, that's my capitalistic pitch on, hey, you know... I'm useful. <laughs> I, I, th I think you got a good balance, uh, and, and and that's the thing is, you know, to, that ego death, to, to be in balance, to understand, you know, like you're their cats and dogs and, and have the humility and grace and understanding about the bigger picture. I think that is such a rare piece that it, more humanity needs. So um, I want to help you do it, and I know there's a lot of people out there that will definitely – uh, you know, want to see this go further. Uh, how, yeah. how, and where can we help you out in, in terms of, uh, helping you fund these, uh, these amazing ideas? Well, I'll, I'll advocate that, um, I just became the vice president of the San Diego Mycological Society. So I'm going to use this as my pitch because my plan is to build Microsoft here in San Diego, the biotech capital of the United States. And um, I am using the San Diego Mycological Society as my base because we have 400 members that I am responsible wow. for now. We're going to have a conference at the Balboa Park, uh, which we do every year. It's called the Fungi Fest, February 19th. And there'll be 2,000 to 3,000 people like last year there buying mushrooms, mushroom products, uh, vending mushroom, growing tools. And um, I would say... Because my company, this idea, is still idea and very startup, um, and I'm doing a lot of software and back-end stuff, um, it takes people to build a good business. And so what I want to do is turn the San Diego Mycological Society into a 3,000-member group that is going to be advocating for the jobs here in San Diego because there's a lot of biotech companies. We don't have a forest in San Diego. Kids can't go forage mushrooms here. So I'm going to the middle schools, elementaries, high schools, and colleges and teaching mycology to kids here in a way that, hey, John, come join the club. It's 35 bucks a year to become a mycology member. It's like the Boy Scouts. We teach you about mushrooms. You got meetings every month. We have book writers and speakers and Paul and famous mushroom people like Alan Rockefeller can come speak with us. And so we put you in that environment where you can learn more about mushrooms in our San Diego Mycological Society. And then my plan now that I am somewhat in charge of this thing as a second in command is to build it to build future biotech jobs here and train people to become mycologists who want to go stay in San Diego and not be a nomad like I was, but actually work in the industry here because we don't have the woods, but we do have the jobs. And so that's the for see the forest through the trees, as they say. Mm -hmm. um, if you learn about mycology, you could get paid here. If you learn about mycology in the woods, there's not biotech companies up there <laughs> that will pay you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So um, my goal is to build Microsoft alongside the San Diego Mycological Society as a Google to the Googleplex yeah. to have a company that has a college or a group of students or a group of members that we could feed from and recruit and bring into this company and um, train these students in school to come join the club. So I would recommend that everyone go to sdmyco.org and um, whether you're in San Diego, California or not, um, we sell memberships and they're pretty cheap. And then you can like come 
join us on virtually or physically and become a mycology member. We do forays in the woods whenever we can go after it rains. You got access to private lands throughout San Diego to come find mushrooms. You got people like me and actual um, biologists and geneticists as members that you could learn all of this stuff from. And, um, you know, if you want to go work on computers and Minecraft, I'm, I'm able to teach people how to do that. But um, I, I feel like I want to get away from the screen as much as possible. So I am trying my best to be part of the San Diego mycology community. And um, we have the North American Mycology Society and NAMA, uh, North American Mycology Association, all over the United States has clubs everywhere. Um, if you're interested in mycology, join one of those clubs wherever you are. Learn about it. Put yourself around people who are going to teach you about the basics. And um, when it comes to what I'm working on, if you want to build computers out of mushrooms or out of redstone, find me on Twitter, Nodefather. Email me, Nodefather at Gmail. Um, and uh, I would love to hire anyone who knows how to use redstone and finish this Bitcoin ASIC so we could like <laughs> run the biggest Bitcoin mine on Earth. And I would also love to um, have a full wet lab running here in San Diego in the next year where we're doing mycological experiments with fungi and mushrooms in a lab coat environment and petri dishes and clean rooms and i've done that throughout the years but um i want to build a google of mushrooms so it takes a little bit of groundwork takes the people more than anything which is what i'm working on now and um, getting more people and i taught a lot of kids about bitcoin in the early days so i'm trying my best to teach a lot of kids about mushrooms now um, and get them while they're young as they say mm -hmm. so I would I would uh, reach out to me on the social media stuff, or email me. And um, if you uh, want to like really support uh, the work that I do, um, join the San Diego Mycological Society or any local mycology society in your neighborhood. And um, we all are friends with each other. So uh, the more mycologists I can build, and the more computer engineers I could build, um, is going to help me in the long run. You know, yeah. uh, I raised money over the years, and I've learned that that's not important. What's important is getting good people who care about your work. And that's like the reason I do these kind of conversations with people is because I want people to hear me and see my intentions and my goals. And I want people to follow me to Mars. And if you want to do that, you got to know what I'm about and what I will, you know, what my agenda is. And um, I want those kind of people working with me in a company, you know, people who believe in me and the work. Yeah. Uh, not people who think it's going to make them money Passion. because everything can make money, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I, I, that's, that's what's important to me now. I've learned in hindsight, uh, people make a business, not money. So I, I would, I would definitely reach out if you're interested in learning how to do any of these things I've talked about, because I, I love to, to teach and I love to recruit. So, <laughs> well, you're, you, you've uh, you've definitely got a new fan, and uh, I'll tell you, I think there's going to be a lot of people out there uh, that are, are very interested in what you're doing, and you know, in this space. Man, I hope so. This is. I really uh, do. I think it's. I think it's. I think there's an awakening. I really do, Morgan. And I I got to tell you, um, this is one of the best conversations I've had, and the the. Well, thank to, you. To to have you. Um, share your thoughts, your ideas, your passion, um, and foresight. Um, I'm, I'm really, I'm humbled to do this, and I've, I've got so many more questions. We'll have to do it again sometime. But man, I just yeah, for say, sure. I want to say thank you so much for your time, 
um, for, yeah. your, for your mind and for, for what you're doing out there because I think we need a lot more of it. And it's it's a brave thing to do because there's a lot of pushback in society. There's a lot of people with badges and guns and things like that that don't want you doing anything like this that are super powerful people. It's not the most popular thing in the world in terms of you know fighting the FUD. But uh, to have guys like yourself out there putting up the good fight and you know going after these dreams um, is absolutely, I think, what we need more and more of. So thank you, thank you, thank you a million times. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And for everybody that's interested, the links will be in the show notes. Um, probably yeah. going to drop this thing tomorrow morning for everybody. In terms of, if you got some kids that know how to use Minecraft, send them my way. I'll pay them. I. You know? uh, <laughs> I got three recruits for you, so um, Morgan. You know, thank you. I, I I paid some kids that use Minecraft, and they love telling people they got paid to play in Minecraft. Play so Minecraft? They're gonna be, keep... my, my kids are probably banging down the door right now, going, "Hey, Dad, All you right. know those jobs? Remember letting us do this? Appreciate it." And I'm like, "Yeah, go go start making some money, Morgan." Uh, uh, really uh, great Christmas season to you and yours, and uh, yeah. thank you again so much for same to you for man. being here, brother. Uh, ladies and gents. Yeah. Go out there, support Morgan as much as you can, and um, until next time, I love you, I need you, peace. Um, don't hurt people, and don't take this back.